Letter thirty six of Clarissa Harlow, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlow, volume two, by Samuel Richardson. Letter thirty six. Miss Clarissa Harlow to Miss Howe, Wednesday, four o'clock in the afternoon. I am just returned from depositing the letter I so lately finished, and such of Mr. Lovelace's letters as I had not sent you. My long letter I found remaining there, so you will have both together. I am convinced, methinks, it is not with you, but your servant cannot always be at leisure. However, I will deposit as fast as I write. I must keep nothing by me now, and when I write, lock myself in, that I may not be surprised now they think I have no pen and ink. I found in the usual place another letter from this diligent man, and by its contents a confirmation that nothing passes in this house but he knows it, and that almost as soon as it passes. For this letter must have been written before he could have received my billet, and deposited, I suppose, when that was taken away. Yet he compliments me in it upon asserting myself, as he calls it, on that occasion to my uncle and to Mr. Solmes. He assures me, however, that they are more and more determined to subdue me. He sends me the compliments of his family, and acquaints me with their earnest desire to see me amongst them. Most vehemently does he press for my quitting this house, while it is in my power to get away, and again craves leave to order his uncle's chariot and six to attend my commands at the stile leading to the coppice adjoining to the paddock. Settlements to my own will he again offers. Lord M. and Lady Sarah and Lady Betty to be guarantees of his honour and justice. But if I choose not to go to either of those ladies, nor yet to make him the happiest of men, so soon as it is nevertheless his hope that I will, he urges me to withdraw to my own house, and to accept of Lord M. for my guardian and protector, till my cousin Morden arrives. He can contrive, he says, to give me easy possession of it, and will fill it with his female relations on the first invitation from me, and Mrs. Norton, or Miss Howe, may be undoubtedly prevailed upon to be with me for a time. There can be no pretence for litigation, he says, when I am once in it, nor, if I choose to have it so, will he appear to visit me, nor presume to mention marriage to me till all is quiet and easy till every method I shall prescribe for a reconciliation with my friends is tried, till my cousin comes, till such settlements are drawn as he shall approve of for me, and that I have unexceptionable proofs of his own good behaviour. As to the disgrace a person of my character may be apprehensive of, upon quitting my father's house, he observes, too truly I doubt, that the treatment I meet with is in every one's mouth, yet he says that the public voice is in my favour. My friends themselves, he says, expect that I will do myself what he calls this justice, why else do they confine me? He urges that, thus treated, the independence I have a right to will be my sufficient excuse. Going but from their house to my own, if I choose that measure, or in order to take possession of my own, if I do not, that all the disgrace I can receive they have already given me, that his concern and his family's concern, in my honour, will be equal to my own, if he may be so happy ever to call me his, and he presumes, he says, to aver that no family can better supply the loss of my own friends to me than his, in whatever way I shall do them the honour to accept of his and their protection. But he repeats that in all events he will oppose my being carried to my uncle's, being well assured that I shall be lost to him for ever, if once I enter into that house. He tells me that my brother and sister and Mr. Solmes design to be there to receive me, that my father and mother will not come near me till the ceremony is actually over, and that then they will appear in order to try to reconcile me to my odious husband, by urging upon me the obligations I shall be supposed to be under from a double duty. How, my dear, am I driven on one side, and invited on the other? This last intimation is but a too probable one. All the steps they take seem to tend to this, and indeed they have declared almost as much. He owns that he has already taken his measures upon this intelligence, 
but that he is so desirous for my sake, I must suppose, he says, that he owes them no forbearance for their own, to avoid coming to extremities, that he has suffered a person, whom they do not suspect, to acquaint them with his resolutions, as if come at by accident, if they persist in their design to carry me by violence to my uncle's, in hopes that they may be induced from the fear of mischief which may ensue to change their measures. And yet he is aware that he has exposed himself to the greatest risks by having caused this intimation to be given them, since if he cannot benefit himself by their fears, there is no doubt but they will doubly guard themselves against him upon it. What a dangerous enterpriser, however, is this man! He begs a few lines from me by way of answer to this letter either this evening or to-morrow morning. If he be not so favoured, he shall conclude, from what he knows of the fixed determination of my relations, that I shall be under a closer restraint than before, and he shall be obliged to take his measures according to that presumption. You will see by this abstract, as well by his letter preceding this, for both run in the same strain, how strangely forward the difficulty of my situation has brought him in his declarations and proposals, and in his threatenings too, which, but for that, I would not take from him. Something, however, I must speedily resolve upon, or it will be out of my power to help myself. Now I think of it, I will enclose his letter, so might have spared the abstract of it, that you may the better judge of all his proposals and intelligence, and lest it should fall into other hands. I cannot forgive the contents, although I am at a loss what answer to return. I cannot bear the thoughts of throwing myself upon the protection of his friends, but I will not examine his proposals closely till I hear from you. Indeed I have no eligible hope but in your mother's goodness. Hers is a protection I could more reputably fly to than to that of any other person, and from hers should be ready to return to my father's, for the breach then would be not irreparable, as it would be if I fled to his family. To return, I repeat, on such terms as shall secure but my negative, not my independence, I do not aim at that, so shall lay your mother under the less difficulty, though I have a right to be put into possession of my grandfather's estate, if I were to insist upon it. Such a right, I mean, as my brother exerts in the bid, that I should ever think myself freed from my father's reasonable control, whatever right my grandfather's will has given me. He, good gentleman, left me that estate, as a reward of my duty, and not to set me above it, as has been justly hinted to me, and this reflection makes me more fearful of not answering the intention of so valuable a bequest. Oh, that my friends knew but my heart, would but think of it as they used to do! For once more, I say, if it deceive me not, it is not altered, although theirs are. Would but your mother permit you to send her chariot, or chaise, to the by-place where Mr. Lovelace proposes Lord M. shall come, provoked, intimidated, and apprehensive as I am. I would not hesitate a moment what to do. Place me anywhere, as I have said before, in a cot, in a garret, anywhere, disguised as a servant, or let me pass as a servant's sister, so that I may but escape Mr. Soames on one hand, and the disgrace of refuging with the family of a man at enmity with my own on the other, and I shall be in some measure happy. Should your good mother refuse me, what refuge or whose can I fly to? Dearest creature, advise your distressed friend. I broke off here, I was so excessively uneasy, that I durst not trust myself with my own reflections. I therefore went down to the garden to try to calm my mind, by shifting the scene. I took but one turn upon the filbert walk, when Betty came to me. Here, miss, is your papa. Here's your uncle Antony, here's my young master, and my young mistress, coming to take a walk in the garden, and your papa sends me to see where you are, for fear he should meet you. I struck into an oblique path, and got behind the yew hedge, seeing my sister appear, and there conceal myself till they were gone past me. My mother, it seems, is not well. My poor mother keeps her chamber. Should she be worse, I should have an additional unhappiness, in apprehension that my reputed undutifulness had touched her heart. You cannot imagine what my emotions were behind the yew hedge, 
on seeing my father so near me. I was glad to look at him through the hedge as he passed by, but I trembled in every joint when I heard him utter these words. Son James, to you, and to you, Bella, and to you, brother, do I wholly commit this matter. That I was meant, I cannot doubt. And yet why was I so affected, since I may be said to have been given up to the cruelty of my brother and sister for many days past? While my father remained in the garden, I sent my dutiful compliments to my mother, with inquiry after her health, by Shorey, whom I met accidentally upon the stairs, for none of the servants, except my jailoress, dare to throw themselves in my way. I had the mortification of such a return as made me repent my message, though not my concern for her health. Let her not inquire after the disorder she occasions, was her harsh answer. I will not receive any compliments from her. Very, very hard, my dear. Indeed, it is very hard. I have the pleasure to hear that my mother is already better. A colicky disorder to which she is too subject. It is hoped it is gone off. God send it may. Every evil that happens in this house is owing to me. This good news was told me with a circumstance very unacceptable. For Betty said she had orders to let me know that my garden walks and poultry visits were suspected, and that both will be prohibited if I stay here till Saturday or Monday. Possibly this is said by order to make me go with less reluctance to my uncle's. My mother bid her say, if I expostulated about these orders, and about my pen and ink, that reading was more to the purpose at present than writing, that by the one I might be taught my duty, that the other, considering whom I was believed to write to, only stiffened my will, that my needleworks had better be pursued than my airings, which were observed to be taken in all weathers. So, my dear, if I do not resolve upon something soon, I shall neither be able to avoid the intended evil, nor have it in my power to correspond with you. Wednesday night. All is in a hurry below stairs. Betty is in and out like a spy. Something is working, I know not what. I am really a good deal disordered in body as well as in mind. Indeed, I am quite heart-sick. I will go down, though tis almost dark, on pretence of getting a little air and composure. Robert has my two former, I hope, before now, and I will deposit this with Lovelace's enclosed if I can, for fear of another search. I know not what I shall do. All is so strangely busy. Doors clap to, going out of one apartment, hurryingly, as I may say, into another. Betty, in her alarming way, staring, as if of frighted importance, twice with me in half an hour, called down in haste by Shorey the last time, leaving me with still more meaning in her looks and gestures, yet possibly nothing in all this worthy of my apprehensions. Here again comes the creature, with her deep-drawn, affected sighs, and her, "'Oh, dears! Oh, dears!' more dark hints thrown out by the saucy creature, but she will not explain herself. "'Suppose this pretty business ends in murder,' she says. "'I may rue my opposition as long as I live for aught she knows. Parents will not be baffled out of their children by imprudent gentlemen, nor is it fit they should. It may come home to me when I least expect it.' These are the gloomy and perplexing hints this impertinent throws out. Probably they arose from the information Mr. Lovelace says he has secretly permitted them to have, from this vile double-faced agent, I suppose, of his resolution to prevent my being carried to my uncle's. How justly, if so, may this exasperate them! How am I driven to and fro like a feather in the wind, at the pleasure of the rash, the selfish, the headstrong, and when I am as averse to the proceedings of the one as I am to those of the other? For although I was induced to carry on this unhappy correspondence, as I think I ought to call it, in hopes to prevent mischief, yet indiscreet measures are fallen upon by the rash man, before I, who am so much concerned in the event of the present contentions, can be consulted. And between his violence on one hand, and that of my relations on the other, I find myself in danger from both. Oh, my dear, what is worldly wisdom but the height of folly? I, the meanest, at least youngest, of my father's family, 
to thrust myself in the gap between such uncontrollable spirits, to the intercepting perhaps of the designs of providence, which may intend to make those hostile spirits their own punishers. If so, what presumption! Indeed, my dear friend, I am afraid I have thought myself of too much consequence. But, however this be, it is good, when calamities befall us, that we should look into ourselves, and fear. If I am prevented depositing this and the enclosed, as I intend to try to do, late as it is, I will add to it as occasion shall offer. Meantime, believe me to be, your ever affectionate and grateful, Clarissa Harlowe. Under the superscription written with a pencil after she went down, my two former are not yet taken away, I am surprised. I hope you are well. I hope all is right betwixt your mother and you. End of letter 36